so the battle is very clearly pitched. And so all we have to do is choose the Sacred Heart, devote ourselves to the Sacred Heart, pray to the Sacred Heart, uh, make reparation. Hey, my friends, it's my privilege to introduce you to someone. You've probably heard about him already. He's a Catholic father of five who's lost two-thirds of his farming business after criticizing Pride Month on Instagram. Now, this is the story sort of went viral. His name is Ross McKnight, but it wasn't so much his Instagram post that made him lose all the customers that was so impressive. It was actually his reaction to losing so much of his business. Let me quote that for you. And this is really incredible. If you're wondering, he lost between six dollars and $10,000 per month, which for a small farming business is a very huge portion of his actual business. But listen to this. This was the reaction after losing all of that business because of coming out on Instagram in favor of the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus rather than so-called Pride Month. He said, and I quote, We count it a privilege to have lost much. It is an honor to participate through the suffering of our family in the triumph of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. He added, We have already seen divine providence working through all of this. And we have already seen that business we lost by rejecting pride beginning to be restored, in no small part by fellow Catholics who've reached out to support us and to share in the great victory that, is to, that it is to suffer for and with Christ the King. <laughs> That's incredible. For that reason alone, I wanted to speak with him and bring him to you because that's just amazing. In the midst of suffering, like the apostles did when they were scourged, they counted all blessing to have suffered something for the name of Christ. So here was his post. This was the Instagram post that cost him all that business that started the whole thing. He said, he talked about the attempted coup of the month of June, and he suggested some antidotes to a false pride. Antidote number one, as it is our tradition, enthrone the sacred heart in your home this month and place your family under the protection of the furnace of Christ's most merciful love. Number two, wear the sacred heart as a badge wherever you go. If you know your history, you'll know that it was meant to be the livery, that's the, 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 the uh, you know, clothing, if you will, of France and uh, clothing for soldiers. Um, and that was the Vendeans. And uh, that was the movement in a certain area of France sponsored or, or inspired by St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort. Um, anyway, that was my edition. Um, number three, pray the rosary for the conversion of souls. Pray it in French, he says. And uh, number four, check out my most recent journal entry on our website. And um, he ends off saying, for God and the king, for God, the king. And uh, just... It's an incredible thing when people stand for the faith, suffer for the faith, but you do that with a large family, and uh, it gets very concerning. It's my great honor to introduce you to Ross McKnight on this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. 
Hello, dear LifeSite viewers. We are living in a moment of truth. Each day we encounter the evils of the woke agenda, especially during this month of June, as the woke corporations, they continue to infiltrate our homes via the media. Now, this month, the mainstream media works overtime to spread false teaching and make a mockery of traditional families and the Christian values we hold most dear. But look around. Look at the pushback against Bud Light and Target. People are finally starting to wake up and they're actually looking. They're looking for the clarity and answers. So this is our moment to give the world what they need so desperately, the truth. We have a golden opportunity right now. There's a surge of interest and we need to jump on it to give the public the truth on life, faith, family and freedom that they so desperately need. But you know what? We can't do that without you. We are in the midst of a quarterly summer fundraising campaign, and we are in need of your support, both prayerful and financial. We must raise a minimum of $500,000 before June 30th. So please donate at the link in the description below and be on the lookout as LifeSite will be on the road during this month of June, heading to Los Angeles, to Chicago, to Washington, D.C., all to shed the light of truth during this critical time. Thank you so much for your prayers and for your support and your dedication. Let's take advantage of this moment and by the grace of God, may our efforts serve him and his truth. And may that bear much fruit. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston. May God bless you. Ross McKnight, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Ross, it is a great honor for me to speak with you. Uh, what you did was truly incredible and an honor to our Lord. And uh, we're here actually to learn more from you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you, for sure. So let me start off with this. Did you have any hesitation uh, before saying what you did about Pride Month? I think we all do. Um, you know, we're wondering what the consequences of what we say will be. I've said, you know, things promoting the sacred heart in the past and of course promoting uh the major feast days of the church on our Instagram feed and, and my customers generally speaking, you know, there's no, they don't have to go far to find out what I think about things or, or what I believe. So um I think we knew at some point there would be some some issue between us and our client base. It just so happened that that this was that time. So, yeah, yeah. Now, your response was so stunningly beautiful. Um, in the face of, you know, a hit to your family, before you know any kind of comeback on that, you know, it was really threatening your family. Your response was basically the apostles' response after they uh, left after being scourged for Christ. It, it, that it's a privilege to to for your family to suffer for Christ. First of all, stunning. That was so moving. I loved it. But it's hard too because, unlike the apostles, it's not only you. It's you and your wife and your kids. Mm -hmm. How how did that play out in your mind? Oh my goodness! So many so many thoughts. I think went through my mind. From the the moment where I was standing there, actually processing um, products of slaughtering chickens, <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm just a farmer. I was slaughtering chickens. That's what we do. 
<laughs> so slaughtering chickens for uh, uh, many of which were going to one of these accounts. Or we're supposed to go to one of these accounts. We had a, an arrangement throughout the summer where we were going to drop off a, a significant number of birds weekly. So I'm standing there actually doing the thing and realizing that these don't have a place to go now. You know, a lot of them don't have a place to go now. So there was definitely that feeling of kind of just, uh, you know, dismay and, and fear certainly. And, um, certainly disappointment, I guess, because I, one of these people, the first one who actually dropped their orders with us, I have a longstanding relationship with, um, and then later that day, we were running late on preparing to receive some young birds to raise that, again, many of which were supposed to go to one of these accounts. And so we're shoveling bedding out of this, this building, you know, and it's getting dark. And we're, you know, it, it ends up that there, we have to turn on a light in there because it's getting dark. We're just shoveling dirty bedding out of a building, you know, for birds that, you know, we don't exactly know what to do with. And so it was all just rather mad. And I, I was about to lose my mind for sure. Um, I think, you know, I kept reminding myself that God's going to provide, but you don't obviously feel that that's going to happen in the moment. Um, but the tremendous, I mean, tremendous amount of graces is, I have to thank God for the tremendous amount of graces that I've been given um, in that moment and and after it. And then you know, like you mentioned, you referred to the situation rapidly developed in the opposite direction <laughs> over the succeeding days. And so, um, yeah, divine providence has been astounding to witness, certainly. So tell us about that. So in one day, you get basically chopped off. They were your two biggest clients, were they not? Um, I'd say there were two significant clients. Um, I guess my I still, as far as I know, I actually haven't spoken with them. As far as I know, I still have one of my significant clients, although they don't typically buy from us during the summer. They buy our, our, our main item, which is the fattened ducks and the foie gras. They buy that during the season, which runs from October to about the end of April, sometimes into May. Um, so I haven't spoken with them yet, but I don't think it's going to be an issue. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, so we did lose those two significant accounts for us, which we only have three restaurant accounts. That's how tiny an operation we are. And then we do some retail sales. So it definitely was, I mean, it was, it was a scary thing. Um, mm -hmm. But like I said, yeah, things changed quickly. <laughs> and we're very so, blessed. Tell us, first of all, what is it exactly that you do? Describe sure. your business for us. <laughs> because I think a lot of people are wondering, what? I thought okay, it was far yes. far, And he actually is a farmer. And how does that work? Okay, yeah, it, I, I understand that this is a very strange topic uh, because so the the whole farming world in general, trying to trying to make a living producing, um, you know, something that comes off of a farm on an extremely small scale is a difficult thing, and so we ended up, I think, also by providence, choosing to produce foie gras, which is a specialty. Uh, it's a luxury food item, you know. It's it it is expensive to buy. It's also expensive to produce, but it gives us a niche where we can approximate something of a living, you know? Um, and we were helped by friends of ours, uh, Laurent and Mylise, who introduced us to foie gras in the first place. And then they actually helped us start the farm. And uh, it's been an interesting journey. The foie gras is the fattened liver of a duck or, or goose. 
in the U.S., we're not very familiar with it, and the people who have familiarized us with it at all on any sort of scale, um, well, they belong to PETA, and PETA hates foie gras, so just keep that in mind. And, you know, if you Google foie gras, probably the first thing is going to be something from an animal rights group. If you want to know about foie gras production and the way that we do it, I would go to our Instagram page and look at the highlight called Gavage, which is G-A-V-A-G-E, Gavage, and you'll see how it's done and how... Uh, waterfowl physiology and anatomy work in that regard. Um, so it's a beautiful product. It's a beautiful tradition. It's been around uh, for at least 5,000 years, the tradition of producing foie gras from ancient Egypt through Rome. Um, you know, the uh, I guess you'd say the Jews actually brought it to Western Europe because they needed a source of kosher fat for cooking. And um, I don't really know if the chicken or the egg came first as far as the foie gras, but of course that was an added benefit if they were just fattening geese or ducks. And then you find this beautiful golden liver that uh, tastes like, uh, the best way to describe it is meat butter. So if you like meat and you like butter, I mean, I think you're going to like foie gras. So <laughs> that's what we do is we produce foie gras um, in a very traditional way. We raise our ducks on pasture. We fatten them for four weeks in the barns at the end there. And then um, we harvest them. And, uh, you know, I think it's a gift from God. So. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's what we do. If you could describe your family for us. Sure. Well, it's myself, my wife, Dorothy, our five children, um, and my parents. And we all live here on the farm. My parents live in kind of the farmhouse, we'd call it. We live, we live in a barn dominium. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we kind of live where we work, right? Um, and we're on some acreage here. We have our ducks out in the field. We've got Got sheep, a flock of sheep, mainly for our family. We raise, we do a little bit of pork, um, and you know, some household laying flock, and it really takes up most of our time. You know, it's true what they say about about the farm life. It's just it takes up most of your time. You get up, you got things to do, and you stop for lunch, go back and do some things, stop for dinner, and then do some more. <laughs> so, uh, it's an ongoing task for sure. I actually, I'm, I recently was in the field and I you know, just kind of put on a different shirt and came and sat down to, to talk with you. But um, very good. Yeah, we're all here. Yeah, we homeschool, you know, um, and we're, yeah, we're here in Southeast Louisiana. We love it. We love uh, our culture here and trying to preserve it. So beautiful. What are, what are the ages of your children and how many boys, how many girls? Yeah, I mean, the general ages, they're all under 10. You know, oh, wow. we've got uh, we've got two boys and uh, sorry. Wow. You'll have to pardon me. We have three boys and two girls. Okay. <laughs> but, you okay. know, who knows? There might be an extra Are they helping on the farm already? Uh, yes. Yes, uh, they do. My to two oldest definitely do. My son's job is taking care of the household laying flock. So that's kind of an ongoing thing, you know, where uh, if it's not done so well one day, you know, we have to have some conversations. But he's definitely getting there, becoming more responsible, which is beautiful to see. So Wow. And how old is he now? He's, uh, how old is he? Man, seven. So getting ready for, uh, his, his birthday is at such a time that he's kind of getting ready to prepare for the sacrament. So of, uh, Beautiful. You know, first, first Holy Communion. But. So in a farming family, how does it work for mass? How do you schedule that? Oh man, it's crazy. We get up, um, oh, Sundays are so mad. They're so insane. Cause we get up earlier and run out there and we're just rushing through everything, you know, uh, cause we don't want to get up at a, at a terrible hour in the morning, um, running around getting the cow milked, you know, feeding all the ducks, taking care of the pigs, 
making sure everybody's got water, um, taking care of the young birds in the brooder houses. So it's it's a mad rush. It's a dash. And then we uh, we try to make it to 9 a.m. Mass at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which is where we attend the uh, traditional Latin Mass. Beautiful. Uh, okay. So life itself is kind of a, a struggle, a happy struggle, but a struggle nonetheless. Yeah, it's definitely a struggle. <laughs> so this um, sort of uh, upset in the middle of it all, if you don't mind me asking it, and if you're not able to say, um, let me know, but the reaction of your wife, this is a hard thing for the family when the family gets hit with something that's that, and that can create a lot of tension. What was the uh, reaction of your wife on this? My wife is a beautiful and virtuous woman. And uh, she, she, I, she had kind of a physical reaction that day. She was down with a migraine, like couldn't really get up and do anything, a really bad migraine. Um, and, you know, up and down, trying to take care of the children, knowing that I had a ton of work to do. We were behind on a lot of things that day. So it was all just, it was a complete and utter chaotic disaster here. Um, but she's, I don't know. Um, I, I think I may have married one of the best women alive because she's patient and forbearant, um, forbearing, I guess. English is such a strange language. Um, and, and has tremendous faith in divine providence. And I just is, she's always, it's never really, there's not much criticism, you know, if something goes wrong, it's usually just support. So yeah, she's remarkable. She's a remarkable woman, probably going to be a saint. <laughs> that is awesome. So a couple days in, um, so this happened, major threat too. What happened uh, in terms of the gives and go? Oh, right. So a friend of mine set that up. And uh, yeah, that just kind of went nuts. Uh, because the way it happened is, is he had gotten, okay, this is this is the first kind of divine providence story. So we had told our friends in our community, and we have a private membership association, uh, that this had happened. We'd lost these accounts. And they started coming to the farm and buying inventory to help us out, basically, because they knew we didn't have a place for it to go. And so individuals were coming, buying like 10 chickens here, five chickens there. Um, and then at the farmer's market that same week, you know, people buying ducks. And of course, every most people love our foie gras pate, understandably, <laughs> and come and buy that. Uh, so we we had a lot of support from our immediate community. Uh, but I had thought that that this friend of mine, Harrison, had come over to the farm because he had heard that we were going through this. And it turns out that he hadn't because I just started talking to him as if he knew. And he was like, wait, what are you talking about? You know, I'm just here to buy some stuff and whatever. Um, I was in the he, he was just around town. He was in the, he was in town. He wanted to buy some things. So he stopped by the farm and ended up hearing this. He got so angry, you know, with righteous anger and went on Twitter and, and posted something. And that's where the Federalist picked it up. And then, you know, Fox and friends, and it spiraled from there. Um, and then he, at some point, set up the Gibson Go. And then that exploded. And so that's why I say, you know, we've been well taken care of, and can really have nothing but gratitude at this point. It, it just, it went from a situation where we only expected to have to work very hard to figure out how to keep our business afloat to um, sort of being overwhelmed with generosity uh, and the love of God, you know. So 
you wrote so eloquently, you spoke so eloquently. Do you have like a theological background or where that come from? Or how did you, how did you formulate what you said? It's very kind of you to say, because I feel very scatterbrained most of the time. Um, but I would say, like I said, there, there were just so many tremendous graces um, through all of this. And of course, we can only attribute that to the sacred heart because he takes care of his own. And, um, you know, like, I, you know, I, I just, I want that to remain front and center here. If we can continue all of us to make reparation and pray to the sacred heart, make our novena and throw in our home, maybe start that nine month devotion. That's, that's Absolutely. obviously what he's asking for. That's what he's asking for here. Just like us talking right here, you know, about this, that's, he wants to be promoted and he's going to be promoted throughout the describe, world. Describe the, the devotion, if you would. Yeah, so um, it's older than this, but you know, I think most people are familiar with the story of Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque um, and her visions of the Sacred Heart and how it it appeared to her, and she described it in her letters. Um, this is a simplified version, right? That the uh, the Vendéens, the counter revolutionaries, the Catholic and Royalist counter revolutionaries during the French Revolution, they wore this patch. It says "Dieu le roi, God the King." Uh, a simplified version, but it it has of course, the uh, crown of thorns around it, right? The, there's a piercing in the heart, and then there's also the flame around the cross here, and uh, the symbol of God's, you know, burning, consuming love for all mankind. And of course, also that imagery of the heart as it expands with love for mankind being pierced by the crown of thorns, right? Wounded by um, our sins, but just unable to contain itself with love for us. So, um, there was also there's also the story of how heaven had asked she had been asked to send a letter to the king of France and inform him that his job was to consecrate himself to the sacred heart and to emblazon the sacred heart on the royal arms of France so really the bourbon arms are supposed to have the sacred heart smack dab in the middle right and uh that did not happen louis the 14th the sun king you know he didn't do it for whatever reason and then, of course, the French Revolution happened very soon after that, relatively speaking, uh, the beheading of Louis XVI, who, who we know he did uh, consecrate himself to the Sacred Heart right before his execution. But I believe we know from Fatima that that was considered too late. Yeah, um, it was 100 years. Right. It was 100 years to the day that uh, they didn't do it, that the royal family was removed from the palace later to be killed. Um, amazing. A little bit scary on that score because um, our Lord in 1929 compares that. Uh, actually, 1931, he, he appears again to Sister uh, Lucia in the convent and says, hey, um, they're following in the footsteps of the King of France and they will suffer a similar fate. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So that's something that still hasn't. And, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I don't, I'm not an expert on private revelation or anything, but um, it's, it seems to me, it's something that's still not really been fulfilled. That request hasn't really been fulfilled. Uh, and yet the heirs of the bourbon line are still alive. <laughs> and so it seems to me at any point, you know, if they wanted to, they're the only ones with the authority to change the Royal arms. And so, um, uh, they could do that, you know, and, and I imagine that would be a great thing, you know, and that God would honor that. So, 
Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one-ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. You had listed four antidotes to false pride, um, and they all revolve heavily around placing our trust in our Lord and our Lady. Um, so why did you think that uh, you should include these antidotes rather than just pointing out the dangers of Pride Month? And what were the antidotes? Ah, yes. So you bring up a beautiful point is that the battle is very clearly pitched, right? We have on the one hand, we have God is love, right? And here's the image of his love, the sacred heart. And the month of June being dedicated to the sacred heart by Pope Blessed Pius IX uh, in 1856. And then on the other hand, the love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, infinite regress, illogical, irrational you know, statement. And of course, a logical or rational movement that is based on pure desire, pure will, and therefore only can only be supported by rage and cancellation and force. Um, so, so the battle is very clearly pitched. And so all we have to do is choose the sacred heart, devote ourselves to the sacred heart, pray to the sacred heart, uh, make reparation. That's, it's, it's very simple and it's beautiful to have something so simple. God is simple. I believe uh, you know, that's, that's the, what we get from Aquinas in general, despite the giant books that he wrote. But uh, uh, so it's it's a beautiful thing. The battle's pitched and we know what to do and, and we just have to do it. And so it, it's certainly an antidote, you know, and it's it's very clearly so. It's here's the anti-love and here is love itself. Indeed. Um, so a uh, question for you. Why pray the rosary in French? Oh, well, you know, I'm... I'm just plugging for Louisiana culture there. I'm 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 very um I'm very protective of of my culture in my state and it's because I've witnessed you know I've been I've been on the uh I guess non-receiving end of that failure to transmit um and that that phrase is really good in in talking about this. I believe I get that phrase from Brandon Sheard who's a uh also kind of in the agrarian movement. He runs a business called Farmsteads Meatsmith, also a traditional Catholic. So he, um, but he says, you know, that he talks about the failure to transmit and it really only takes a generation. In this case, we're looking at two generations where my great grandfather was the last one in our family to speak French fluently. And so for our, my generation, it's recovering that has to be very intentional. Wow. So, Est-ce que tu parles um, français? Oui, je parle un peu, oui, et vous? Ah, c'est très bien. <laughs> On peut faire le reste de cette interview en français. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if I would go so well because I'm still learning, but um, it's anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's this beautiful tradition of, um, it comes from two elements, really more than two, but the two main elements are the Acadians, right, who came down from Nova Scotia. It was religious persecution, it was political persecution, but I think what is not properly emphasized is the religious persecution when you read about the Acadians in modern textbooks, of course. They're not going to swear loyalty to a Protestant king. Like, that's not going to happen. So 
they wander down to Louisiana and end up here. And the first thing that happens is the French governor, who's governing on behalf of the Spanish at that time, sends them a priest and they build a church. And that is St. Martin of Tours in uh, St. Martinville, Louisiana, historic, historic church. And uh, so it was that it's, you can't really separate the culture of Louisiana from its Catholicism. The minute you do that, you start to forget what you're about. And it's like, wait, what is it that we're preserving? So there's a lot of secular efforts around to kind of preserve French, you know, preserve, you know, the food, the cuisine. But what it's lacking is the glue, which is the faith, uh, because everything stems from that. The love of life in general stems from the faith. So, uh, but no, so, so, so the French, French, uh, the French rosary is something that was once heard throughout the land in Louisiana. So that's why I'm encouraging that, of course, is uh, our culture is so tied to, uh, to our French heritage, which cannot be extricated from the eldest daughter of the church. That's, that's where we come from. Exactly. Exactly. I, I pray that you guys keep up with that and, and thank you for doing that because the land of Quebec here in Canada, where I'm from, um, has a very sad metamorphosis because they, unlike France, didn't have the French Revolution, but they had their own in 1960. They had a, what we call the Silent Revolution, which was right. an Antichrist revolution like none other. And funny enough, they almost completely abandoned the faith in, in the worst of ways. In fact, they they went from being the most Catholic place pretty well on earth to one of the most anti-Catholic places around. Their swear words are mostly Catholic phrases. Tabernacle, the tabernacle is a swear word. La Saint Vierge, the, the Holy Virgin, Virgin they, they uh, call a swear word um, and others. So it's really unbelievable. But the one thing they did is they went crazy on the language. So they made laws so that you couldn't have English signage on stores. You have to have French only and so on and so forth. It's because, I think anyway, they had to cling on to something of their culture so as not to lose it completely because they abandoned the faith. They have nothing else. So they went insane about the language. Yeah, unbelievable. No, it makes sense. It's it's a similar thing here. Uh, there's even a new, now we have, again, we have uh, Louisiana Public Broadcasting. We have. We now have a, a French language um, a show, but it's 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 it, it's just it's sort of like you can palpably sense that vacuum, you know, of culture because it's just, okay. Why the language in isolation? And it's just strange. It, it, it's where what is it connected to, right? Well, the Acadians and the French Creoles who came over and brought their Catholicism. So it's a uh, it's bizarre. So so I see you know in some way my what I see somewhat my, my role to be in some small way is, um, yeah, providing the context for everybody. If you, if you lose your faith, you can forget about the rest because none of it matters. I mean, not to be, um, so dark, but you might as well, you know, jump off a cliff. <laughs> you don't have the faith. Life is not particularly good or interesting or valuable if you don't understand the meaning of it. <laughs> so anyway, so what did Catholicism look like previously uh, in Louisiana? And um, what is your family doing to, to bring it back? Sure. Um, so I guess to answer the last question first, this last Sunday, uh, I was supposed to be there. Long story. Um, I was coordinating a Sacred Heart procession for our 
um, our Latin mass community. It's a, it's a public association of the faithful. Nice little loophole. So um, we, we did that. Um, I have to thank all the people who stepped up. We got stranded with car issues that are all figured out now. Um, but that was beautiful. And that's definitely something that's very important. You know, we flew the, uh, the flag with the symbol um, of the Vendée and we flew the uh, Carillon Sacré-Cœur, which I know you're very familiar with. Uh, and Joan of Arc's standard as well, and carried an image of the Sacred Heart. So many thanks to all those men out there who who filled in for me and did it so beautifully. But uh, that's something that was very important to me because it's such an it's emblematic um, of of the two, right? United. It's very closely connected to Catholic France, and also, of course, is a universal symbol of of Catholic devotion. So. That that's something that's, that was very important to me that we accomplished and we, we finally did this year. And so hopefully every year it grows and becomes a bigger event. We'll probably, I'll probably start inviting people from outside the chapel. But, um, and what did it look like in the past? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's almost something that I'm still recovering. I have my, my great, great, great grandfather who, who came over from Auch, France, the Southwest of France, which is funny enough, foie gras country. Um, he wrote a he wrote a brochure called Rome ou Malta, or Rome or Malta, and uh, it discusses the overthrow of the thrones and the altars. Right, that phrase that we hear a lot from like My Michael Matt, Michael Davies, you know, all these gentlemen, uh, probably Archbishop Lefebvre as well, and uh, just talk, it's almost like he's writing a letter why he's leaving France and coming to Louisiana, and needless to say, he was a man of great devotion, of great faith. And in his obituary, which we still have, we know that he died venerating the crucifix. Um, and so I guess, like I've mentioned before, it's just something that wasn't really like viewed as an element of your life that you could compartmentalize and separate out from, um, you know, going and eating. And so we have this tradition, many have probably heard of Réveillon in New Orleans, and it's the, you know, the Christmas day, Christmas Eve, Christmas day feast, right? Everybody's starving because they fasted all Christmas Eve and it's, it's time to eat. And so it's like this middle of the night feast, right? Um, so that's something that's very prevalent. I mean, that was something that, that everybody would have known about. And now it's almost like we're learning about it from its use as a marketing tool uh, as, as, that's, that's now commodified the culture. And so it's now it's like this event in New Orleans that goes on for like a week and we call them the Réveillon day, the, the restaurant industry calls them the Réveillon dinners. And it just makes no sense because it's just, you know, we're just eating all the time. Oh, this is our Réveillon menu. It's like, no, Réveillon is one thing and it happens at one time. <laughs> and it's part of the, the fasting and preparation for, for Christmas. So that was something very, very common here. Um, and it, from our Italian uh, influence here in, in Louisiana as well, the St. Joseph altars, you know, are very prevalent at that time of year. So those Beautiful. are just a couple elements. Yeah. But when there's That's a due de Teche that happens every year, um, there's a procession down the bayou commemorating the arrival of the Acadians. So it's on boats. It's really neat. Beautiful. Okay. So I have to ask because we've tried it. You've got all these little kids. Have you ever actually done the proper Réveillon? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally impossible. No, so one day. We, <laughs> one day. We did this thing. Okay. So I have to tell a personal story only because it's so um, appropriate right now. So my wife and I had 
all little kids like you. And uh, <laughs> we would always bring them to the midnight mass. And yes, after we do a sort of réveillon, the, the priest there would often have a little réveillon back at his place. But And, you know, we'd bring everybody. But nonetheless... There we are with little kids. Now, we're walking into the Midnight Mass. It's always a Midnight Mass on uh, on Christmas. And um, <laughs> my wife over here is somewhat saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe those people are bringing their little kids. And they've got a baby. What are they doing? <laughs> my wife was like, Oh, we'll show them. So we go in. And um, believe it or not, we, um, you know, they had the baby. And uh, I put down my... my um, trench coat so the baby could sleep um, on the coat and unfortunately the baby was sick in the coat and so we were yeah. it, was, it was a challenge yeah. um, but nonetheless we, we did that the whole way through we did midnight masses with the little kids um, but um, it's tough it's yeah tough. no doubt no they go straight this last year yeah straight to bed you know um, yeah. in fact yeah. I think I, I may be remembering the Easter uh vigil because i don't think we did midnight mass last year no mm. we did we did this year we did do a midnight mass but yeah straight to bed straight to bed oh my goodness no yeah no when they're older though definitely i can't wait till they're older because uh because of the you know just because we raise our own pigs and we've got the fattened ducks it's just going to be we're going to do something glorious so yeah. i can't wait it certainly <laughs> will be <laughs> amazing so okay question for you about Catholic businesses, um, even families, standing against what really is an attack on the Sacred Heart. Because this month, for whatever they call it for, essentially it's that. This month is about the Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. Catholic families are confronted all over the place. Businesses are. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for them? Oh, goodness. That's such a difficult question. You know, it's the question is always what's worldly prudence and what's, you know, uh, the prudence that comes from faith. And, you know, it, it's not like, <clears throat> I suppose we're not, you know, yelling at people on the street corners what it is that we believe. It's just that there are times and seasons when, um, you know, it, it doesn't make sense not to say something because what else is there, right? It's, you know, our, the, the tradition of producing foie gras, even. It wouldn't have flourished, I don't think. Why is it considered a French delicacy? I don't think it, it could have flourished unless there was a long-term stability under a Catholic monarch and the, you know a, a healthy and strong and, um, I guess, well-to-do peasantry, really. Um, and it's, so that's a Catholic thing, right? What is, what is the point of all of these things that we do for culture, for society, for each other? you know, just living day to day, if we can't even um, ha uphold those things when the, the rubber meets the road. And so I don't, I don't really want to produce foie gras in a society that doesn't have a hope of, of a renewal of faith um, or doesn't have a hope of restoring the culture. And so, you know, forget it, I guess. If, if, I, can't, if I can't be... Um, profoundly and overtly Catholic uh, and produce foie gras, which I see also as things that are completely tied together and can't be separated, um, then I don't, I don't see a point to it that, like I mentioned before, I just don't, it doesn't particularly interest me anymore. I'm not interested in a completely secularized society 
and and dealing with people who are completely godless all the time. You know, I still have to deal with them. We have to evangelize, of course, but it's just that those who are going to appreciate most um, this type of work and how it's tied to theology and how it's tied to penance and how it's tied to um, Genesis itself and the command to uh, you know tend the earth and keep it. That's what makes it beautiful and sharing that with people who appreciate that. So yeah, I think it's it's almost like it it chooses the moment it chooses you, right? Um, and so I think most of us will know when it's time to to say something in a in a very yeah overt and external way um, to where we're sending a message to everyone around us. I don't know that I could give any advice. I don't know that I'm qualified to give advice in general. <laughs> But I'll just say that that's my experience, um, and that's the way I see it. Yeah. Any second thoughts? So if you could go redo all of this, would you do the same thing? Well, it's an unfair question because the results were <laughs> the the results were not what we expected, right? It, it turned from a very dire situation, like I mentioned, to an extremely positive one. So yes, of course I would do it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, I, I have to say, I'm the greatest honor is to serve the king, right? And you and I are men, and we both know what it's like to be a little boy who wants to be a knight. Hmm. And you're probably also familiar with Charles Coulomb and his statement on when we become monarchists. It's really not that we become them, it's when do we stop being them so that we had to be, become monarchists a second time when we get older. And it's because we're sort of hardwired to want to serve the king and um, and fight for him, you know. So it's it's a tremendous honor, and I don't deserve it, and I feel extremely blessed in in so many ways to just uh, have been able to have that one moment of usefulness, if if it even was useful, or or I guess just to just God allowing me to be part of it, right? Because He doesn't need me and doesn't need any of us. So just having been allowed to be part of, of the promotion of the sacred heart and having been allowed to fight in one moment for um, the king of heaven and earth. Yes, yeah, a tremendous honor. Beautiful. Ross McKnight, what a, what a joy to speak with you. Thank you for standing for the faith. Thank you for standing for Christ in this month of the sacred heart. Well, thank you for all you've done. Um, I mean, we're all, we're all kind of fighting as brothers in arms here, right? And just trying to be faithful. So thank you so much for all that you do. God bless you. Amen. Ave Maria. Ave Maria. God bless you. And you know what? Let's let's finish off. We don't normally do this, but since you do, let's let's pray the Hail Mary in French. Um, oh, to to honor your tradition. Excellent. Au nom du Père et du Fils et du Saint-Esprit. Amen. Je vous salue Marie pleine de grâce. Le Seigneur est avec vous. Vous êtes bénie entre toutes les femmes et Jésus le fruit de vos entrailles est béni. Sainte Marie, Mère de Dieu, Priez pour nous, pauvres pécheurs, maintenant et à l'heure de notre mort, ainsi soit-il. Et nom du Père et du Fils et du Saint-Esprit. Amen. God Thank bless you, Ross, and thank you. God bless you. And Have God bless day. all of you. And we'll see you next time.
Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.